Locked On Jazz for the where are we? The tenth of November. Jazz, do what you do to beat a reeling Atlanta Hawks team by taking advantage of all their weaknesses. We'll break down what those were, how they did it, and why it was a solid and impressive performance last night. Quarter by quarter, as well as looking at the power rankings by the time we're done. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thanks very much for tuning in. Thanks very much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen every single day. And we are free and available on all platforms. On YouTube, you can push right there, hit subscribe, hit the little bell button, be notified whenever a show is coming as well. Jazz really solid last night. Uh, That's a good win. Uh, Atlanta's reeling. And so when you face a reeling team, you have to take advantage of it and and not let them kind of get traction. And Atlanta, without... uh, First, their defense has been horrendous, 27th in the league. They've came in losing six of their last seven. And their defense had been very, very poor in that stretch. Uh, They were having at least in my opinion and from comments from Nate McMillan, I think internal issues about whose role is what. One of the guys that was really, uh, I think, has been hit by that is Kevin Herter, whose shots have gone from 11 down to 7. And so when DeAndre Hunter uh, and uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich were out, you knew he was going to be aggressive and he was terrific last night kind of to prove his point of what he's capable of. But the Jazz were able to take advantage of of the, the injuries, the lack of defense, and then also the fact that they were on a back end and back to back and just did not give them life um, at any point in the game, despite the fact that Atlanta shot lights out. We've been talking on the show for a while that the Jazz three-point shooting defense was unnaturally good, and then at some point it was going to come back to bite them. It did in Orlando, and it did last night. Uh, luckily, last night, the Jazz still get a win out of it. Uh, so that's good. And the good news is that that should be close to over. We're now fifth in the league at 33%, more than 4% of the mean. Like that actually should be over. Now that, that you know, we shouldn't see a lot more outlier three-point shooting nights um, against us. Uh, and Miami is the one who has had to go the other way. They're still allowing 45% of opponent's sh- shots as threes, four percentage points worse than the rest of the league. They've been unlucky and they're winning. So we'll see that probably swing back the other way. So let's walk through what the Jazz did well. I always like to look at the quarter by quarter, and we'll talk about it. I thought the really the big pictures. I thought Donovan was terrific, and he has been now uh, for you know quite a while. And he is averaging thirty points a game over the last uh, six games. Tonight, I think he finished with twenty-seven. It was an efficient twenty-seven. He was in control. He moved the ball. He had five assists. It never felt like he. Uh, was pushing. He didn't get to the free throw line last night, but he had three steals. His defense in the fourth quarter was elite level, digging into guys. And one of the things that's important here is the way the Jazz are playing their nine-man rotation is that if Donovan and Royce are leading the team at 32 minutes, you should be able to get real defensive effort out of these guys. 
You know, if they're only if they're only playing 32, Mike's playing 29, Boyan's playing 30, there's not really much of an excuse that, well, I've got so much of an offensive burden that I can't put in the defensive time because you're not being asked to play 38 or 39. Now, at some point you probably will, um, but the way the Jazz are playing right now should allow them to avoid that concept and and because they're playing the bench. So the first quarter of the game, Jazz offense came out, which is great. Offensive rating of 120, defensive rating of 106, which is pretty solid. They had control of the game uh, and really played well. And the half-court offense on both sides was through the roof at that point of the game. Uh, both, uh, both sides. In fact, let me restate that. I got that wrong. The first quarter offensive rating for the Jazz was a 130, and Atlanta's was a 122. I gave you the final numbers uh, there a moment ago. So the first quarter was just both half-court offenses were clicking. Atlanta was getting out in transition some. They were averaging over two points per possession in transition. And then the second quarter, the Jazz started to clamp down defensively. They they held the Hawks to a 95.7. That's always our little number there. If the Jazz can hold someone below a point of possession, which is really hard to do, for a quarter, they're going to be in pretty good shape. And their offense played along with it with a 140 offensive rating. And they're really terrific. Um, Hassan Whiteside played not 10 minutes of that quarter. Um, and the Jazz offense, when Whiteside was on the floor, was a one. 52. They scored on at one point 12 of 14 possessions with Whiteside on the floor. Gobert got in foul trouble and Whiteside played the full final 10 minutes of the quarter and was and did a terrific job. He continues uh, to hang in really, really well. The, the Jazz slowed down. They did not play a very fast pace of play in that stretch, but um, pretty nice to have Whiteside be able to go 10 minutes for you. In the third quarter, um, the, at times it looked like the Jazz were going to blow the game out of the water. They just didn't clamp down defensively like they needed to. They had a brilliant offensive game again, a 137 first quarter. I mean, they just exploited Atlanta's lack of defense all night long, and it kept them in control of the game. Uh, 137 offensive rating in the first in that quarter. We probably should be looking at the other way, too, because anytime you're over 130, you're it's the same thing as probably being under – well, anything over 120 would be the same thing as being under 100. It's easier to do the other way. And then the fourth quarter was just a defensive grind. The Jazz defensive rating was an 81.8. So they do it in two quarters. They just stopped scoring. Uh, in that fourth quarter, the Jazz were 68.2. It got close for a minute, and then the Jazz stretched it out. So you have two of your four quarters last night where defensively against a pretty good offensive team, you hold them under 100. And for three of the four quarters, you really crushed them offensively. And and that's that's just good basketball. That's just that's beating a team that has some weaknesses, taking advantage of it, uh, and, and – and the same time the Hawks shot lights out, Ben Anderson, who was on our post-game show last night, now doing the midday show with Jake Scott uh, on 1280 The Zone, made the really interesting discovery that last night the Hawks, I think, hit 18 threes and didn't score 100 points. They're only the, the 10th team in NBA history to ever do that. All of them have lost. Uh, but it was certainly a, um, you know, the Jazz were on the wrong side of the shooting game and still were able to pull it off. So that's a that's a pretty darn good sign. Uh, for Utah. A few other notes on this one. Last time we played Atlanta, we sent 111 picks. Last night, we only sent 90. So we changed up, but we killed them in the pick and roll. The Clint Capella, Trey Young pick and roll defense is not very good. We killed them in the pick and roll. So again, this is part of being a really good team in the NBA is if the other guys have weaknesses, can you exploit them? Frankly, Orlando had a really big weakness, which was that they turned the ball over a tremendous amount and then they didn't play any transition defense. Their strengths for them was the fact that they can play pretty good defense in the half court. And we aren't a team that forced a lot of turnover. So that was a game where you prepped Orlando 
And I thought to myself, like, wow, that's that's not a skill we have. Like, we're not going to be able to exploit that weakness. We'll have to beat them some other way. And we couldn't do it. Um, Atlanta is just not a good pick-and-roll defensive team, particularly if you can put Trey Young and Clint Capella. They average about 1.2 points allowed. And the Jazz did a really nice job in that. The other one, I mean, Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert last night, I think were about 1.7 points for pick-and-roll. And Donovan Mitchell and, and Hassan Whiteside were about 1.3. There was a new pick-and-roll combination the Jazz brought out, which was really interesting, which was when they had Solomon Hill, who's big and strong, guarding Donovan Mitchell. The Jazz wanted to get Lou Williams switched on to Donovan Mitchell, but there was Lou Williams' terrible defender. There's no way the Hawks were going to allow that to happen. So what Atlanta was doing is when Royce O'Neal would come and bring the second guy to Donovan, they would double Donovan. And if you think back at the Clippers playoff series, the Jazz wanted to get Reggie Jackson into the pick and roll, and every time they brought Reggie Jackson man to the ball they would then double team donovan and he'd be in the corner he'd have to give it up well this time what the jazz did is they brought royce o'neill which is whom most teams hide their worst offender on they have them guard royce o'neill so at that point royce comes up if he sets a pick they then trap donovan if they don't set a pick then the guy guarding donovan has to try to fight through it and deny the switch which is really hard to do since royce is pretty strong and sets a good pick So they doubled Donovan, and then from there, the Jazz hit Royce in the middle of the floor, and Royce now has become a pretty good ball handler, pretty good distributor, and a very good finisher. And so the Jazz now are suddenly have Boyan in one corner, probably Mike Conley or Joe Ingles in the other corner. Rudy Gobert stays in, or Hassan Whiteside stays in the dunker spot on the baseline, and now Royce O'Neal's working in the middle of the floor on a four-on-three, and somebody has to come to him. Right, because they just put two guys on Donovan at 35 feet. This is where Draymond has made a living when teams double Steph, if you kind of visually think of that. And so Royce O'Neal's catching in the middle of the floor, and the Jazz ran that about 10 times and scored, I think, at about 1.6, 1.7 points per possession on that last night as well. So that's a nice little wrinkle. That's a change the Jazz have brought to the table um, that should be able to help them a little bit. We'll look at a few more things last night. Um and talk about some of the other things. Take some of your questions live in the chat and continue here on Locked On Jazz today. Thanks very much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen every single day. Uh, we are free and available on all platforms and really appreciate you uh, stepping into the show, whether it's on the old school normal f- platform such as podcasting or whether or not it is uh, on our new form Utah uh, of YouTube. This episode is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place of tasty, affordable food. It's the unofficial community center. A big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there. I'm loving it. All right, we're going to look at power rankings as we continue as well today. Today's show, our good friends over at grip6.com. Bring it to you. They've got the classic packs at 26% off right now. You can use the promo code locked on, but that's pretty good. Uh, and they've got a new, I really love this, new premium pack of their belts. If you don't know about Grip6, Grip6 makes the best belts out on the market. There's no flaps, no holes, no bulk. They are engineered with an unlimited lifetime warranty. The straps and the buckles are interchangeable so that you can end up with If you buy three buckles and three straps, you end up with nine belts. So they have a premium pack, which is all their nicest things. So it's my three favorites you can get for the premium pack. It's regularly $308. Right now it's $199. And you get three buckles and three belts. So you end up with nine belts for $199. You're set. Pretty cool. The three buckles that they have for you 
are three of my favorite. It's the honeycomb. Uh, wait a sec. I take it back. You get 18 belt combinations, two classic buckles, the ninja and the gunmetal, two carbon fiber, the forged, which is my favorite, and the dark matter, and then one craftsman belt, which is the olive, and one conservation buckle, which is the honeycomb, plus three straps. So you get six buckles and three straps, raven, silver, and timber, and you also get a grip six hanger, which is a good idea because mines are flapping all over the place. So you get six Different buckles and three belts. That's an incredible deal. I actually thought it was three and three for 199. That was a pretty good deal because it was nine belts, but that's even better. But it's all my favorite. So that's available for you right now. You can use the promo code locked on as well. They also have socks and they have a really cool wallet builder as well. They have a new Blue Jay mid strap weight strap that's out. They also have um, the new titanium series buckles, which are the strongest and thinnest buckles yet that are pretty cool. It's all available at Grip6. Com. Today's show is also brought to you by Built Bar Coconut Coconut Brownie Chunk with the chunks on top. Coconut Brownie Chunk. Trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. 100% really ch- real chocolate. 100% delicious. The best. Will sell out. Is fabulous. 150 calories, 15 grams of protein, 7 grams of sugar. It is the Coconut Brownie Chunk. It's the best Built Bar out there. There's no discussion, no debate. Unless you're one of those weird people that doesn't like coconut. Then you might debate that there's another flavor that's better. Plus, the paranormal pumpkin is available and the coconut marshmallow puffs and the strawberry and the blueberry muffin. Go to the promo code LOCK15, get 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, uh, great question coming in here from Tyler. Seems like Rudy's offensive foul rate is up considerably. Is there anything to it? There absolutely is something to it. Rudy is trying to stretch his wings offensively show that the French national team, which is frankly not a very good comp to what uh, the NBA is for a bunch of reasons I'll get into, showed that he has this more offensive game and he wants to try to show that he has more offensive game and it's only going okay. In fact, I'd have to look at some numbers. You know, the problem is I think that this is one of those times where you really do have to look at numbers because I think our feeling is every time he makes a mistake, <clears throat> we think to ourselves like, oh, there's Rudy overstretching his bounds again. And we only notice the ones that don't score. I don't think we notice the ones that do score if you're if you're taking it just because of emotion. He is shooting 72% from the field. He is dunking a lot, but he must be doing more than just that. Um, his turnover rate, it does feel like it's up and his offensive foul rate is up. I, my concern on it is as he stretches, uh, his turnover rate is at 19%. It was at 14% last year. Um, my concern is that as he tries to stretch his offensive wings, which is great, we probably need him to do it. He, uh, is committing an offensive foul every game. Um, and so as he commits an offensive foul every game, last year he committed 27 and 71 games. He has gotten so incredibly good at not committing fouls that, the one doesn't seem as big a deal, but if it's going to do what it did last night, which is take him off the floor, then it, it becomes problematic. Um, and so that's the one that I would like to keep an eye on is, you know, what happens when he, uh, is this off, is his new attempt to try to be more aggressive offensively leading to more offensive fouls, which is then putting him on the, on the, Bench. That that's problematic to me. He's he's turned the ball over eight times in eleven games just on lost ball turnovers. That's a higher rate than a year ago. Last year it was one per every two games. Now it's a little closer to one to one. He's got an offensive foul one to one right now. 
It was about one to four. Um, so he certainly is trying it. Now he also, you know, offense uh, shooting fouls drawn. He's at about three a game, which is a little above where he was a year ago. So it kind of goes both ways um, in that regard. But he is trying to stretch his offensive wings. It's only been um, somewhat adequate. The 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 other thing is that when people he did it against in France. Okay, well, few different things. One is what was happening in European game is <clears throat> they were switching, and then Rudy was taking the switch down to the post, which they have to do. But instead of having Nicholas Batum or Marcus Morris on it, he was having some non NBA player on him most of the time on the other team. And then maybe the other biggest one out there is that in the Europe in the Olympic game, there's only five fouls, so you can't defend with quite the same vigor that you would otherwise in that circumstance. Um, and so, you know, that's, it's not a great comp to say, well, he did it in the Olympics for the French national team. He can do it here. Um, obviously that's what, you know, Rudy is trying to do that and and good for Rudy. This is Rudy's quest to always try to get better and better and better and continue to, you know, improve his game and add that element and, you know, be Giannis and add an offensive game. And he's trying. And so we got to let him continue to try because frankly, when you look at the three or four things that we have to have by, to win a championship, one of them is to take advantage of one through five switching defenses. We need to be able to have Rudy be able to punish a guard that's smaller when he goes down to the post. And if Rudy can't punish that guard, it really hurts our offense a great deal. Hassan <clears throat> Whiteside can a little bit, and that's nice to see. And so Rudy's going to have to try to be able to do that um, as well. Good question right there um, from Tyler. Uh, different Tyler says, Jazz finally being able to take advantage of teams' weaknesses was huge sign Jazz are starting to feel like themselves again. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're going <clears> to – the shooting has been off. They're the number two offensive team in the league going into last night. Um, I don't know where they rank. If I I use uh, cleaning the glass because of the fact that they – the takeout uh, blowout time. So the Jazz are now the number one offensive team in the league by almost a point per possession, 115.6. Philadelphia's at 114.8. That's crazy, by the way. So we're the number one offensive team in the NBA right now. And our three-point shooting ranks 22nd. And is two percentage points below the league average. If you guys have not listened to the show and don't believe in shot distribution yet... This is the moment where if you're not on Shot Distribution Island, you need to get off and join me. Because Shot Distribution is a lot of what this is. And for those who are new to it, Shot Distribution is that you're going, you get 1.4 points per shots at the rim. One point, actually it's now about 1.35. Rim shooting is down. A corner three is usually about 40%. 1.2 points per shot. It's down a little bit. Above the break three is usually about 34, 35%. So it's about one point, you know, one points per shot. And then mid-range shots are 0.8. It's a big difference. Free throws 1.4. Rim is 1.3. This is a simplest way to remember it. Free throws, it's not perfect. Free throws 1.4. Corner th- rims 1.3. Corner three is 1.2. Above the break three is 1.1. And then you drop all the way to 0.8 for any type of mid-range shot. Okay, it's it's pretty close. So there's a stat called location effective field goal percentage. The Jazz are the eighth best in the league right now. 
They take shots. They take their 14th in the league at rim shots. They need a little bit more of that. They take the few, one of the fewest amount of long twos in the league. And only 3.6. They take 11% of their shots as corner threes, which is the second most of any team in the NBA. They take the third amount of above the break threes. They take, take the second most amount of threes, only Minnesota taking more. Like it really matters. The other ways you survive not shooting well to have the number one offense in the league is you crash the offensive glass with tenacity and they're the number two offensive rebounding team in the league at a really high 32%. I don't know that they can hold that. That's a really, and then the third one is you go to the free throw line, which you often get off offensive rebounds and attacking the rim. And it's why the rim numbers are down a little bit. And it's where Rudy trying to stretch his offensive prowess is pretty important because even as a 60%, 65% free throw shooter, that's 1.3 points per possession. So that really matters. And the Jazz have the third best free throw rate in the league. So the Jazz have the second best offensive rebounding, third best free throw rate. And while shooting 23rd in the league in threes, they have the sixth best effective field goal percentage because they where they shoot the ball from. So shot distribution really matters. Like if you're not a mem- if you're not in, get in. And the Jazz have the best offense in the league at a 115.6 because of it. Now I don't have it looked through to see, you know, it's 11 games in and these samples. 20 is really a pretty good sample size, by the way. We'll be pretty good here by the end um, of this little stretch. You know, have we played teams that are good offensive teams or bad offensive teams or those kind of things? I haven't I haven't dug into, you know, the best defensive teams are Golden State, haven't played them. Denver's played them. Clippers haven't played them. Chicago played them. Washington haven't played them. Miami have played them. San Antonio, don't think we've played them. Boston hasn't played them. Minnesota, can't believe that to be true. Brooklyn, Toronto, Phoenix, Philadelphia. So we've played more bottom half defensive teams and top half partially also because they're playing us now the worst defensive teams in the league are memphis new orleans charlotte atlanta we've played them twice orlando played them once detroit oklahoma city played them once so four of our games so far are against and then houston as well so five of our opening games are against 10 of the worst defensive teams in the league that's a little skewed that's probably got our offense being a little bit better um, than it needs to be right now. Blake is very happy because he's ordered his coconut brownie chunk and raspberry puffs. I have not tried the raspberry puffs. Um, let me know. Uh, Blake also wants to know, do you have numbers on Pascal and Whiteside's offensive rebounding? They might be a big reason why the offensive rebounding rate is higher. My feeling is that when Pascal's on the floor, our offensive rebounding is really high. Let me do a quick check on this. It's a great question. And Whiteside's always been a great rebounder. So let's see. Um, Offensive rebounding, when Whiteside is on the floor, we're plus 9% from our regular numbers when Whiteside's on the floor to offensive rebounding. And Eric Paschal, we're not actually up as much. I would have thought we were at plus 1%. Jordan Clarkson's up, but that's because of Hassan Whiteside. So Hassan Whiteside is crushing the offensive glass um, for us right now, which is helping. Playing a little bit here for a second, um, just putting Eric Paschal on the floor because he plays both with Gobert and Whiteside. Our offensive rebounding rate with Eric Paschal on the floor is a 32.4, which is in the 95th percentile of all offensive rebounding. That's going to be interesting. when he, If he stops playing as Rudy Gobert, who's getting closer, play, or Rudy Gay plays, because that's going to hurt us, because Gay's not an offensive rebounder, and Paschal is just crashing. Um, Hassan Whiteside, we're at 37.4 offensive rebounding rate, which is in the 99th percentile. So that's impressive. I can't imagine what it is when the two of them are on the floor together. Rudy Gobert on the floor. Our offensive rebounding rate is a 29%, which is in the 80th percentile. 
So yes, Eric Paschal is bringing a huge value there that we should not underestimate at all. Um, the two of the, oh my goodness, it's only been 44 possessions. But when Eric Paschal and Hassan Whiteside are on the floor together, we have a 41% offensive rebounding rate. Great, great question there from Blake. He's inspired by having the coconut brownie chunk. Uh, today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Intercap Lending. That's Steve Carter. And we appreciate Steve Carter ever so much. Um, and what he brings to the table. Steve Carter is our own personal loan officer at Intercap Lending. They do amazing work. If you are looking for a loan or doing a refi before the rates go up with inflation, the rates usually go up. So jump on it right now and get involved. Intercap is an ind- one of the largest independent lenders, lenders in the country. Uh, Steve Carter is our own personal loan officer. He is through the roof great. Uh, we have, it is a great pleasure for me to send you to him because I know Steve will nail it. You can reach Steve at 385-885-28 or visit intercaplending.com, Intercap Lending, NMLS number 190465. Steve has been our personal guy. If you've listened to the show for a while, you've heard the stories of other locked on people going to Intercap, just email me first at dlock09 at gmail.com and I will send a... Uh, invitation over to Steve, get you guys connected. He'll respond nearly immediately. If you don't want to involve me, I totally understand. You can just call Steve straight at 385-885-28. The reviews are through the roof each and every time one of our people uses Steve Carter. So please get involved with intercap lending. Today's show is also brought to you by betonline.ag. That's our preferred spot for you to do any gaming you want to do over at betonline.ag. They've been nailing it. Uh, giving you the best online experience. They've updated the website. Super fun. You can get involved in the Ravens-Dolphins game Thursday night with the Ravens as a seven-and-a-half point favorite. How about the Broncos last weekend? What do they got this weekend? Are they on a bye? Nope, they got the Philadelphia Eagles, and they're a a two-and-a-half point favorite uh, on that one. Over on the NBA end of things, the futures of the NBA game props for every one of the games that are going on. So if you want to get have some fun with that, plus – here are the regular season MVP lines. Steph Curry is now plus 200, rightfully so. Kevin Durant plus 650. Giannis plus 650. Luka plus 800. Donovan Mitchell is now top five MVP odds at betonline.ag at plus 1,200. Joel Embiid at plus 1,600. Nikola Jokic at plus 1,700. Pretty interesting to see that. Had not seen that before. So in- fun little uh, note for you on the... And on the conference championships, have anyone gotten out the Lakers yet? Not entirely, but a little bit. Plus 315 for the Lakers on the West, plus 325 for the Warriors, plus 325 for the Jazz. So the Jazz sneaking their way up with betonline.ag. Promo code locked on gets you a 50% welcome bonus. All right, let's do our uh let's do our power rankings, but Matthew has a question. What do you think of Clarkson, Ingles, Gay, Pascal, Whiteside lineup when Conley goes to the bench? Joe's got to get the pick and roll going if that's going to work. Teams will switch. They won't. That's big. Could probably be good defensively. Who's Rudy Gay guarding? Is he playing power forward and Pascal's really playing the three? It's interesting. Joe's got to guard a two or Joe's got to guard a one. You know what? I'm all up for trying it. Um, Seems like. It's interesting. Kind of want Donovan on the floor there. 
Um, but that is in the minutes, so that's taking Conley out. It's, you know, it's a way to keep Pascal on the floor crashing, Whiteside crashing. It's worth it. They're going to have to figure something out there as Rudy Gay comes back because I think Pascal's are in minutes, and so how do you play 10? Um, and it's going to be suddenly the Jared Butler Trent Forrest minutes, and you notice that the Jared, those minutes are just so slim. We played them last night for the first half. By the way, on Jared Butler, um, so I said the other day, like, it's unlikely he'll go to the G League, and then he went straight to the G League. The reason was because they signed Kassan Edwards and there aren't that many. But really what he did yesterday is why the G League's perfect and why you have to have it in Salt Lake. So the Jazz went through shoot-around yesterday. They kind of went through. They'd already played Atlanta. They're coming off a road trip. They got together. They watched film on transition defense. Quinn got a message across them of kind of where they were as a fran- as a team. Basically, I think that their offense is number two in the league. Uh, I'm going on this because Quinn went on a diatribe yesterday when he sat down without a question and went for five minutes straight about how the offense is number two in the league despite the bad shooting. I'm pretty certain he gave that to the team as well. Um, I just know that's how it usually works. Uh, and so from there, Quinn does that. And then they walk through one set, which was the double stagger of how they're going to guard Trey Young, Clint Capella, and John Collins with the double stagger, which is their primary offense set. And they called it good. So if Jared Butler's not in the G League yesterday, he gets about five minutes of court time. Instead, he goes to the G League yesterday and he practices for whatever, two hours, whatever they did, gets all that development and work and understands that offense and then comes back in place for us last night. So, you know, that's the right way to do the development and the right way to use the G League. Trent Forrest last night plays three minutes in that one stint. It's going to be really curious to see if the Jazz try to go to a 10-man rotation with Rudy Gay and Eric Paschal and where those minutes are coming from right now. I just, I don't know um, where that those minutes are coming from. I think that's going to be really curious. All right, let's take a quick scan of the power rankings. I've gotten a little long and I don't want to take too much of your time today. Kind of love our shows at 30 minutes, and then you can move on to your second listen of the day. All right. Uh, I love John Schumann. He does great work. It's a must read every week. If you want to know what's going on in the league, the number hot plus minus player of the week was Gary Payton, June the second, and Malik Beasley was the worst at minus 70. The East is 22 and 16 against the West right now. See if that lasts. Atlanta's not helping any coming out here. All right. Number one, Miami Heat, certainly. They're scoring 121 points in their 100 possessions and their wins. Uh, They are really clicking offensively when they're good. The Warriors are number two. Hard to complain about that. Um, They have had a really easy schedule uh, to this point, though. So there's still some question there. Um, You'll see that 538 is not buying on the Warriors net. Number three is Brooklyn. Uh, Number four is Philadelphia, who has, without Ben Simmons, and then Joel Embiid's just brilliant comments every single day about how the team's more together and they feel more collective and just the daggers all the time. Uh, The Sixers are the only team in the top 10 in field goal percentage in the paint, mid-range field goals, and three-pointers. George Niang, by the way, 16 points off the bench in their four wins last week. The Jazz are at five. Here's what he wrote about the Jazz. Complete a stretch of seven games in seven cities in 11 days. So shouldn't take it as a huge surprise that they ran out of gas, allowing the Heat 60% shooting on Saturday, and then made just eight of 42 threes against Orlando. They lead the league in three-point rate for the second straight season, but they're 26th in shooting, having seen the third biggest drop from last season. Clarkson's the worst mark among 73 players in 53-point attempts, and Donovan and Boyant haven't been much better. Um the Jazz are done with the road for a while. The five-game home stand that begins Tuesday, the first time the Jazz have multiple home games in a row, but they're not done with the opposite conference as they play the East for all these games. So to, uh, Thursday will be the first time we play a game in back-to-back are- in the same arena for two nights in a row. Washington just had the, the wrap of the top 10 because it's interesting. Washington at six, good for them. Uh, Cleveland is at seven. 
New York is at eight. Chicago's at nine. Phoenix at 10. Memphis, 11. Denver, 12. Boy, that Michael Porter Jr. story is big. Toronto's coming at the end of the week, 13. Portland, and then Dallas. So that's the ES, That's the uh, NBA. ESPN power rankings, which came out. Uh, Philadelphia is one. Warriors are two. Miami's three. Brooklyn's four. Jazz, five. So that's kind of the universal top five. Let's go to the SRS ranking of basketball reference. Warriors are one. Jazz are two. Miami is three. Let me make sure I don't forget anyone here. Uh, Chicago is four. Clippers are, or Washington is five. Clippers are six. Clippers have clicked in, as I expected. Toronto is seven. Blazers are actually, uh, Philadelphia is eight. Blazers are actually nine. Denver's 10. And then over at 538, projected win total for the season. Jazz one, Bucks two, Suns three, 76ers four, Nuggets five, Heat six, Nets seven, Clippers eight, Mavericks nine, Blazers 10, Warriors all the way down at 12. So some different points of view. All right, that was a quick scan of our power rankings. Thanks very much for tuning in. It is Locked on Jazz. I appreciate you very much for joining the live show. Subscribe right there. Push the star, the bell button. If you haven't already, thank you for subscribing on podcasts. Those matters actually just as much, if not more. We appreciate you. Thanks for making locked on jazz. Your first listen of the day. What about locked on bets? Locked on bets is a quick hitting fun gambling show every single day to get you on the latest things. Lee Sterling and your boy Q bring you all the fun. Head to locked on bets for your second listen of the day. Have a great one. See ya.